isn't a blessing to sing to Jesus tonight? Um, wow, what a blessing. Can you imagine that day? We're going to be doing that in eternity. Praising the Lamb who was slain. Wow. Um, what a blessing. Take your Bibles. Go to Matthew chapter number 8 tonight. Matthew chapter number 8. Um, say what, before you do that, let's pray. And while you're finding your place, I will uh, share a few introductory comments, and we're going to get into the Word tonight. Um, but let's pray, and let's ask God's blessing over um, the Bible tonight, His Word. God, thank You for Your Word. God, speak to our hearts. Use it for Your glory. And God, as we begin this new series, I pray that You would help us, uh, Lord, to go to the next level, to grow and be all You've called us to be. Father, we thank You for Your Word, Your truth. And Lord, I pray tonight that I would preach as if, as if it's the last time I would ever get to do this. And God, I pray those listening would listen as if it would be the last time they would ever get to hear the Bible preached. And so, God, have your way in this place. We know without you we are nothing. So, God, we ask you to speak to us and help us tonight. In Christ's name we pray all these things. And God's people said, Amen. Now, I wrote down this statement. Let's move on from where we are at and go to the next level. You know, we need next-level Christianity right here in our community. We need it right here in our church. And what does it mean to go to the next level? What do we mean by that? It means, going, uh, it means being better or more advanced or more successful. Uh, going somewhere that you've not been yet before in that journey. Part of the great challenge we have in the church today is growth within people's lives. Uh, sadly, I believe there are many who are at the same level they were decades ago in their life of faith, in their journey, their walk with Christ. They've not gone to the next level. They've not grown in faith. So a question for us as we begin getting our minds moving, are you daily growing in life with Christ? Are you daily growing in life with Christ? Are you getting to know Him better? Are you living like Him more? Are you impacting this world more as you walk, as you grow in your relationship with Christ? This series is designed to challenge everyone who is here to grow, to go to the next level. How many understand we never arrive in our life of faith? That This life of faith from the moment we are saved to the moment we get to glory and for all eternity is a life of growth a life of moving forward. So we're going to challenge you to grow in this series. And I wrote down specifically these areas. Go to the next level in faith and giving and hospitality and prayer and impact. Those are the five areas that we are going to talk about over the next few weeks. Tonight we're going to talk about next level faith. Next level faith. Yeah. Matthew 8, 5 through 123. We're going to do it. We're going to tackle it, guys. We're going to tackle it. Through 123, we're going to knock it out tonight. 5 through 13 is what we're going to look at. Thank you, Brother Greg. And so a question before we read Matthew 8, 5 through 123. How would others describe you? How would others 
describe you. If I were to go up to those you work with and, and say, hey, describe, describe Cole to me, or Zach to me, what would they say? How about your family? How about those you live with? If we were to ask them, hey, tell us about your family, describe them to us. You know, if I were to ask your kids, you know, kids are very honest, aren't they? If I were to ask your kids, well, about certain things, they are. If I were to ask your kids, what is mom and daddy like at home? How would they describe you? What would be the first thoughts that came to their mind? What would their answers be? He or she a nice person. They work hard. They're a religious person. What do you think? What would others describe you? Parents, I challenge you to ask your kids this question. I did this this week. I still got some more to go, but I did this. Based on how you see me live my life, what would you say is most important to me? Based on how you see me live my life, what would you say is most important to me? And then prepare yourself for the answer. And any answer, and here, think about this, anything outside of, Faith is the wrong answer. There's a lot of good answers. There's a lot of good answers. I want to be known as a family man. Uh, I want to be known as a good dad, a good husband. I want to be known as those things, a nice guy, kind, compassionate. I want to be known as all that. But ultimately, I want to be known as a man of faith. And truthfully, faith is where all of those other things I mentioned is rooted. That's the only way I can be those things. Would you be recognized as a man or a woman of faith? You see, our faith in Christ is the foundation for our lives. In fact, everything flows out of our life of faith in Him. We cannot have a, a good marriage without having a faith that's grounded in Christ. We can't have a good home life and stability without a faith that's grounded in Christ. Faith is the foundation for everything. Everything flows out of that. I've asked us to turn to Matthew 8 tonight as I thought on the subject of next level faith. My mind went to this centurion who was impressive to Christ. If I had to title this section, I would title it, Faith That Jesus Admires. Faith That Jesus Admires. Matthew 8, look at verse 5. And when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, imploring him, and saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion said, Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who were following, Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. I say to you that many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into out the outer darkness in the place. Uh, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it shall be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed that very moment. Jesus had finished the Sermon on the Mount. And in chapters 8 and 9, Matthew details the account of Christ performing ten miracles. 
And, and so I wrote the question down, why did Jesus perform miracles? There's three primary reasons. Number one, compassion. He was concerned with the physical needs of other people. Secondly, credentials. It proved his claim as the Messiah. Many of his miracles fulfilled Old Testament prophecies. And the third reason was concern, to reveal the saving truth to people. That's why he performed miracles, why he did these things. One thing is for certain, now listen to me, Jesus did not perform miracles as a gimmick to get a crowd. In fact, he usually avoided the crowd. Time after time, Jesus instructed those whom he had healed, don't talk about it. (laughs) Don't talk about it. He didn't want people to trust him, listen, simply based on a spectacular deed he had done. Faith must be based on his word, not the things he has done. In our text, we see the story of a man whose faith Jesus admired. And I want us to notice three important facts about this man of great or what you could call next level faith. Number one, he was a hurting man who requested the power of God. Now I want you to notice again verse 5. And when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, imploring him and saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion said, Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. Now I want you to notice some important things about this man, this centurion. He was a man, we see, of character. This man was a Gentile, meaning he was a non-Jew. And an officer in the Roman army, a man who ordinarily would have been greatly hated by the Jews. Now think about that. He would have been a man greatly hated by the Jews, God's chosen. We learn from Luke's gospel this man came to Jesus through messengers. They were representatives of him because he felt spiritually unworthy of approaching Jesus personally and perhaps also because he thought he would be rebuffed because of his military position. See, some scholars believe that this man was likely in the troop of the wicked Antipas who may have been even been a a Samaritan. So that half-breed of those that were hated, they were hated even more than the Gentiles by pure Jews. But Luke records that this man was held in high regard, high regard by the Jews of Capernaum. Because as they told Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, when you compare accounts, they said, He is worthy for you to grant this to him, for he loves our nation, and it was he who built us our synagogue. It's obvious that this centurion, this Roman guard, was a God fearing Gentile. He was a man of character, but he also was a man of compassion. He was a man of compassion. The Greek word translated in our text, servant, it literally means young child. Young child. This was the child of one of this man's servants. And he was highly regarded by the centurion, Luke 7, 2 tells us. He was afraid, this centurion was afraid that this young child was going to die. He said to Jesus that he was lying paralyzed and suffering in great pain. Whatever the disease that had overcome this young child was, was painful and paralyzing and it was leading toward being fatal. Keep in mind, he's a Roman guard. So Roman guards were known to be brutally heartless individuals. 
Most had no more regard for a slave than he did their animals. Aristotle, the Greek philosopher, said that a master and slave were considered to have nothing in common. A slave is a living tool, just as a tool is an inanimate slave, he said. It was universally accepted that the master possessed power of life and death over his slave. Think about that. But this centurion from Capernaum, he had no such inhumane ideas in mind. He was a seasoned and capable fighting man, or he would not have been a centurion who, as his title indicates, means he was responsible for a hundred men. He was a man's man, a soldier's soldier, yet he had deep compassion for this young child of one of his slaves. He was a hurting man who needed the power of God to intervene. He knew who he needed to run to on behalf of this young child. He was a man of character and compassion. He was a hurting man who requested the power of God. Can I stop here and ask you tonight, what is it this evening that comes to your mind that you need to pursue Jesus over? That you need to request His power. See, one thing this teaches us tonight about this man, this man whose faith Jesus admired, this man was hurting. Because he was hurting didn't mean he lacked faith. It meant he loved deeply. He had compassion. He wanted to see God intervene in this young child's life. And so he pursued the only one he knew that could intervene. He requested the power of God. He was a hurting man who requested the power of God. But notice, secondly tonight, he was a humble man who rested in the power of God. He was a humble man who rested in the power of God. Look at verse 8. It says, but the centurion said, watch this. He said, Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say that to this one, go. And he goes and to another, come. And he comes and to my slave, do this. And he does it. Luke chapter 7 and verse 6. Again, I love comparing these accounts. He says, now Jesus started on his way with them. And when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent his friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself further, for I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. Now I want you to notice what this man did in his humility. This man in his humility, he affirmed the divine lordship of Christ. He affirmed the lordship of Christ. He felt genuinely unworthy for Jesus to go through any trouble. And I'm sure he did not want Jesus to violate the Jewish tradition of not entering the house of a Gentile in order to avoid ceremonial contamination. But can I say this tonight? Jesus was rebellious toward the religious traditions of that time. Jesus cared about people. He went to where they were at. It didn't matter if he was going to be contaminated by the law or not. Jesus wanted to get to the people. But this centurion knew that. He says, I'm unworthy. Notice in our text that twice this man refers to Jesus as Lord. as Master. But this is much more than a common courtesy. He affirmed the divine lordship of Christ, believing that Jesus was indeed God and had the power to heal this paralyzed servant. The servant was too sick to be carried out to Jesus. And he felt unworthy to have Jesus come into his house. 
And so the centurion sent his, his friends to tell Jesus, look, just say the word and the servant will be healed. There's no doubt from the many reports that I'm sure the centurion heard that he knew of Jesus' healing power and perhaps from having witnessed some of the healings, maybe even himself, he was present or around seeing what was taking place. He knew that distance, listen, presented no barrier to the Son of God. Speak the word, Jesus, and he can be healed. He affirmed the divine lordship of Christ, but secondly, he acknowledged In his humility, he acknowledged the supreme authority of Christ. In verse 9, he said this. He says, For I also am a man under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. The centurion knew that if he had the authority to tell his slave something to do, and they do it, he knew that Jesus, the Lord and Master of all, had the power to simply speak the word. And the disease would have to leave at his command. Look, he knew that Jesus possessed all authority. Do you live in that truth tonight that Jesus possesses all authority? See, because he possesses all authority is why we don't have to live in fear in our lives. That's why we can live victorious. Because he is victorious. He has authority even over disease, even over something that's about to take this young servant's life. He affirmed the divine lordship of Christ. He acknowledged the supreme authority of Christ in his humility. Look, he was a hurting man who requested the power of God. He was a humble man who rested in the power of God. But I want you to notice number three tonight. He was an honored man who received the power of God. Now look at verse verse 10. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who were following, Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. Do you see, can you imagine the weight of this statement? This admiration Jesus here gives to this centurion. Now think about this. As God, as God Jesus knew the hearts of men. In his humanness, he was amazed that this Gentile soldier showed more genuine faith in him than he had found in anyone in Israel. You see, many had believed in Jesus, but none had shown the sincerity and the sensitivity and the humility and the love and the depth of faith that this centurion, this Roman guard, this Gentile did. Just a short time later, y'all remember this? Jesus would look at his own disciples and he would say, you men of little faith. Jesus said, I've not seen this kind of faith in Israel. He didn't even see it in his own disciples. Look at verse 11 and 12. He says this. I say to you that many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. teeth. Those who had less spiritual advantage and less opportunity to know God's truth. The Gentiles from east to west would show greater response to the gospel than God's own chosen people who consider themselves to be sons of the kingdom simply by virtue of racial descent. We know it's clear. The Bible teaches us the gospel came through Abraham's seed. We know that. But the benefit of the gospel, salvation, is appropriated through repentance and faith in Christ, not by, uh, uh, not by genealogy, not by our genealogical descent. We don't inherit. How many understand tonight? We don't inherit salvation. We don't inherit redemption. The Jews played an integral part in God bringing the Messiah and His gospel to the world. And they are also destined for an important role in the end of times. We know that. 
It was integral to God's plan of salvation for Jesus, his son, to be born, to live and die as a Jew. But church, the fact that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, here's the point of what we're reading, or any other Jew, will be in the kingdom of heaven, will not be because of their Jewishness, but because of their repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The words of Christ, now listen, were directly because, again, Jesus rebelled against the religious elites of his time. And the words of Christ were directly contradictory to everything taught by the rabbis. The 29th chapter of the apocryphal book of of 2nd Baruch pictures what Jews believed would be the great heavenly feast. Now listen to this. At which all Jews were going to to sit down and eat behemoth, the elephant, and Levithion, the, the giant sea monster or whale. Symbolic of unlimited, these things were symbolic of an unlimited supply of food. In the eyes of Jews, one of the most significant and appealing things about the feast was that it would be totally free of Gentiles. However, Jesus said many Gentiles. He completely rebuffs that in our text. And he says many Gentiles would be present and many Jews would be absent. Look, those who reject Christ, everybody listen to me tonight. You reject Jesus Christ. He has made it very clear tonight. You reject Christ as Lord. You will be cast into outer darkness. They will suffer forever in the horror of weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is a reality. This is not a fictitious made-up tale or story. This is Bible truth that Jesus himself taught more about than he did heaven. You reject Christ, the lake of fire awaits you for all eternity in total darkness. Total darkness. You know, part of the supernatural quality of hell, think about this. Hell is a place of darkness and fire, a combination we don't find in our present world. Have you thought about that? Part of the supernatural quality is this, is that hell is a place of fire, pain, and torment that will continue for all eternity in complete darkness. Even though there's fire, there's no life there. Pain and torment for all eternity. And, and probably the, 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 the most agonizing thing when you look at this scripture about hell is the fact you'll be separated from God for all eternity. All eternity. No more opportunity. And remembering all of the opportunities you had. All eternity. See, being a physical descendant of Abraham, descendant of Abraham was a great privilege and advantage. But in spite of what Jews believed, the point that's being made in our text is that it did not guarantee salvation. It did not guarantee salvation. And because I grew up in a pastor's home, did not automatically qualify me for salvation. Because you grow up in a good church and in a good family doesn't automatically qualify you for salvation. Is that a true statement? You have to get to a place in your life. I prayed today for a little, a little fella of a family. We were meeting, we prayed together, and I prayed for their son. He's about three or four years old. I prayed for him, for his, his, his awakening, and he's awakened to sin, and that he needs a Savior, that he would call on Jesus for salvation. You see, everybody's got to make the choice for themselves. It's not inherited. And that's the point that's being made here in our text. Notice verse 13. And Jesus said to the centurion, Go, and it shall be done for you, as you have believed. And the servant was healed that very moment. 
Jesus again reaffirmed the greatness of this man's faith. I trust tonight that we would seek to be like this man. Be like this centurion. The servant was healed according to the centurion's faith. This young child received healing. Now it's important to understand this because we live in a, a time where deception is so subtle and so grips the minds of people. And, and would you agree with me tonight that there's a, a infatuation with the sensational? There is. Spiritually speaking, there's an infatuation with the sensational and, and, and experiences are elevated. Uh, experiences in a lot of ways are elevated above scriptural truth. Look, because somebody has an emotional experience, listen to me, because someone has an emotional experience and they're weeping and uncontrollably and all this does not mean they had an encounter with God. Are you following me? Look, the, the evidence of an encounter with God is life change. It's life change. You may, you may weep, you may cry. It may be an experience, an emotional experience you remember. But when you get up from that moment, your life has been changed. Because how many understand every life that Jesus encounters, he changes. And so just because we have emotional experience doesn't mean we encounter God. We live in a time where, where people are infatuated with the sensational. Let me tell you something. I'm going to make a statement and listen to what I'm saying here. Name it and claim it is nonsense. Name it and claim it is nonsense. It's not scriptural. Jesus didn't teach it. It's nonsense. It's important to understand that Jesus did not give the principle as you have believed as a universal promise to all believers here. You see, let's, let's think about this. Let's, Paul, y'all remember, Paul had a thorn in the flesh, did he not? He did. He had a thorn in the flesh. And he besought God. Would you agree that if anybody God should have healed, should have been the Apostle Paul? This man of faith, greatest preacher outside of Jesus that's ever walked the earth. Most of the New Testament, he penned it. He besought God three times for God to heal him, take away this thorn in the flesh. And what was Jesus' response? My grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient for you. And so what was Paul's response? He didn't respond in bitterness or anger or resentment. He said, may the power of Christ rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in affirmities. When I'm weak, then he's strong. That was his response. He allowed his, his, his infirmity, he allowed his, his thorn in the flesh to, to help him pursue Christ more and deeper. He understood his grace is sufficient. It's enough. It's enough. So this wasn't a universal promise. Hey, look, how about this? How about Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane? We're coming up on a time of year where we're about to start this series on Sunday leading up to Easter. Hey, look, aren't you thankful we serve a risen Savior? Aren't you thankful that death, hell, and the grave is defeated? Boy, we're going to get excited this month. We serve a risen Savior. And we're coming up on this time of year when we look at the cross and all that, that, that's involved with that. Look, please don't miss the... Don't, don't miss the, the uh, Good Friday service. Don't do that. Put it on your calendar. There's no other place. Look, if you're a Christian, you love Jesus. I'm telling you, there's no other place you should be. Well, it's Friday night. Jesus died on the cross for you. He's worth your Friday night. Somebody say amen. Don't miss that service. 
But we, we, we start examining and, and, and reflecting on all of the things Jesus did. And sometimes we overlook the Garden of Gethsemane, but we remember in the Garden, Jesus prayed. And he was under so much stress that he, he literally, his sweat glands burst and he, he sweat great drops of blood, the Gospel of Luke tells us. And he said, Father, he said, let this cup pass from me. He knew, Jesus full well knew, he was going to experience the wrath of God for humanity. He knew it was going to be poured out on him. It was agonizing. He said, let this cup pass from me, but y'all remember what he said. He said, not my will be done, yours be done. And we know Jesus went to the cross for the sins of the world. But this wasn't a promise, a universal promise, as you have believed, given to all Christians. Look, as we finish these thoughts up tonight, this man did not have next level faith, listen to me, because he saw a miracle happen. He didn't have next level faith because he saw his prayer request answered. If you were paying attention in the text, this man had next level faith before the miracle ever took place. Look, he had next level faith, listen to me, because he saw, he recognized who God was. His power, his authority. He recognized who God was. But church, he had next level faith because he recognized who he was. And he described himself in our text as unworthy. Look, next level faith isn't necessarily about seeing miraculous happen. It's about recognizing the power and authority of God in your life. You know why Christians stay so stuck today where they're at? While they see no victory? You've heard me refer to, there's this like hamster wheel cycle of we, we struggle and battle the same old stuff over and over and over again for years and years and years. And while we never see any progress in our life, it's because we simply do not recognize or we fail to recognize the authority of God in our lives and the power that He has. And we fail to recognize who we are because somewhere along the way, we tend to, 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 to think we can figure it out. That I can do this. I can live for God on my own. And church, we can't do it. We can't. Next level faith recognizes who God is and who, who we are. It's recognizing the power of, and authority of God in our lives. Hey, look, next level faith is praying and trusting God with each burden, with each hurt. Knowing, listen, resting, knowing he's going to make the right decision. Was God not healing Paul the right decision? Of course it was, because God never makes a wrong decision. You know, Paul and his flesh may have not liked the decision God made but Paul knew God never makes a wrong decision and God's decisions are always always rooted in his goodness and his kindness and his holiness he will make the right decision look next level of faith is saying your grace is sufficient next level of faith is saying your will be done not mine one night a house caught fire and a young boy was forced to flee to the roof. And the father stood on the ground below with outstretched arms calling to his son, jump and I'll catch you, buddy. Jump, I'll catch you. He knew the boy had to jump to save his life. 
All the boy could do, all the boy could do was listen. He could hear his dad, but he couldn't see his dad. He couldn't see his daddy. And so, of course, the little boy was scared. He was scared to jump because he could not see his daddy. And his dad, he said, Daddy, I can't see you. He says, Buddy, jump. Listen to what the dad says. This is awesome. He could not see his daddy, but the daddy said, Son, I can see you. I can see you. But the next level of faith is understanding God sees me. He sees me. Look, we're not going to have all the answers in this life. We're not. I'm not going to have all the knowledge. I'm not going to have all the answers. But it's knowing this. God knows me. God sees me, and I am known by my Heavenly Father. Church, that's next level faith. Next level faith declares as Nahum declared in a day of great trouble and tribulation. He said, the Lord is good and a stronghold in the day of trouble. And he knows those who trust in him. Hey church, let's have next level faith. Let's stand together tonight for prayer. Father, tonight I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for the example of the centurion whose faith you admired. And God, I pray that we would be more like him. Lord, we can identify because we, we hurt. He was a hurting man. God, we, there's, there's, tonight in this room, there are many hurts represented. There are hearts that are broken, and God, there are, are needs that need to be met. So God, we can identify, and Lord, tonight we do. We like Him. We request Your power. We know we need Your power in our lives, that we are nothing without You. We know that You have authority, uh, Lord, to do whatever You will. And so God, tonight we, we identify with Him, God, because we're hurting. But God, I pray that we would be humble like the centurion. And Lord, recognize who you are. Lord, in your greatness and your holiness, you are God. And we are not, Lord, that we would recognize who we are and humble ourselves before you. And God, we know that if we humble ourselves, we know God like this man. He was honored because of his faith. God, you lifted him up. God, you granted his request. Great things happened as a result of his faith. And God, we know today we need uh, things to happen within our community, within our church, within our families. We need a fresh work, a move uh, of you, God, that moves people into deeper faith and relationship with you that draws the lost to yourself. But God, we know that in order for us to accomplish anything, God, we need to recognize who you are and who we are. Recognize your power and your authority. Lord, thank you for seeing us. Lord, I'm thankful that we are known to you. That you know those who trust you. And so, God, we thank you tonight for your word, for your grace and your mercy. And God, help us to be a people 
so we'll go deeper and grow, go to that next level in our faith. I'm going to ask Brother Butch, if he will, tonight to close us in prayer.